you really want my leftovers from lunch or breakfast? I mean, I'd be glad to I just save wanna, them for you. I just want to feel included, Rob. That's it. Okay. I might. I can do that. I, I might can, throw the rest of the sandwich away, but I'll, I'll know you love me. Are we recording this right now? Our job is to help you win. The destination is I will be a disciple who can make disciples. We got to watch people see themselves as world changers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Disciples Made podcast. We really do more than be silly and just carry on meaningless conversations. Oftentimes we engage in very significant conversations. We like to talk about best practices when it comes to disciples making disciples that make disciples. We like to engage in tough questions and have real dialogue around tough conversations. We do enjoy shenanigans all the while. And today we're going to be talking about the second pillar of Disciples Made's intentional disciple-making environment, what we call the IDE, and that is habit-fueled. Before we jump into that, I just want to say how sad I am that Brian Johnson's not here to be a part of this. Yeah, he's down in, what, the Gulf Shores, and when he got there, Cristobal rolled in. The tropical storm. Tropical storm, and they have 20 people all packed into one place with, I think, 10 children under eight. Uh, Not a good scenario. So a tropical storm came from Kansas to the Gulf Shores, and... A tropical storm met them when they got there. We are hoping that they're curiously enough. Cristobal means Christ bearer. Christ bearer. So why would someone name a tropical storm Christ bearer? I don't know. I don't know. Just seemed like a mistake. (laughs) They might be running out of names. You never know. We miss Brian. We hope they're having a great time. We will try to bring shenanigans in spite of the chief shenanigan officer not being here. We had uh, Bree Weeby on yeah. episode two. Uh, she's the best. She's amazing. Go one underground. The, yeah, one of my favorite Kansas City underground that she's a part of. She talked about that experience and loves it very much. One of the things that was just so delightful on that podcast episode was how she talked about disciples making disciples, but they are her own children mm. and how her own children who are young still, like I think the youngest is uh, 12, perhaps 11. And he's holding his father accountable to Bible reading and journaling, talking about habit-fueled that we'll be discussing this morning. So I hope you check that out, episode number two. Go back and check it out. Bree talks a great deal about outcome-focused. But it's kind of hard to start this episode, Rob, without dealing with the very palpable present. Doesn't make sense for me to not deal with something that's just kind of rocking our country right now, the death of Oh, I should say the murder of George Floyd was only two weeks ago. The protests continue. Emotions are high. Leaders in the church are trying to lead. And when it comes to making disciples, we do that by all of our leadership actions, whether intentional or not. So where have you seen the church powerfully being the church in the last two weeks? I don't want to camp here very long, but it's just important to mention. Let's highlight a win in the middle of this difficult transition time. Well, I think, you know, the community I'm a part of with the underground, I think there's a genuine brokenheartedness. I think there's a genuine desire to listen and to learn and to repent. The majority of those that are our missionaries and microchurch leaders are still white people, many of them of privilege. And so I think as a community, we're 
trying to be reflective and look deeply into our own hearts, realizing, you know, passivity on this has actually been sin. And also making sure that the people of color in our community have a safe place to really tell their stories and to lead us. So I think if I had to identify a win, at least for us with the underground, I I do think there is a genuine sense of self-reflection and repentance where people are seeing that not being racist is not enough. It's not good enough. We have to be anti-racist. We have to be advocates and allies and try to do that in a non-optical way. So it's not about our image. It's about coming alongside people of color to listen and learn and actually support their voice, their leadership. And a couple that we're connected with here in Kansas City who are actually, I think, people of real influence in terms of kind of kingdom activity in our city and are, I think, really well equipped to be a part of something that's going to be redemptive we're deepening kind of our partnership and they're helping us to integrate justice more deeply. This is something we'll come back around to when we talk about mission fixated. Part of the mission of Jesus is justice and it's not extra credit. It's not an elective. It's an essential hmm. and it's not really been a part of the disciple making conversation. And it is with our IDEs. It is because Mission Fixated incorporates the justice that Jesus says must roll down like mighty waters. In terms of wins, last Sunday, there was a unity rally that was led by the Worship Center of Kansas City, which is a primarily a, a congregation of people of color. And there was seven other churches that were here in this region that participated. And I thought it was a really powerful moment <laughs> of calling for justice with Jesus at the center. It was painfully honest. So people from their congregation shared stories of where structural racism had really run over their lives in ways that were very traumatic, one of them involving a Christian school. And so I felt like that was a really beautiful embodiment of both the unity of the church, but the humility of coming together under Jesus, Hmm. you know? So I think this is going to have to, well, it's going to shift into a different gear. It's kind of like with COVID. We can't be thinking about quick fixes. We have to be really be thinking long-term about how do we let this shape our communities, our faith communities, and how are we going to try to move towards sort of structural and legal change as well? Yeah, you were talking about um, mission fixated and how justice is a part of that, and it made me remember a seminary training and even college training before that where the themes of uh, Mishpat and Sedekah, somehow I still remember those two Hebrew words, let righteousness and justice flow. And it's the theme through practically all of the prophets, the Old Testament, that was the one way God wanted to point out that his people got it wrong. There was just structural injustice that needed to radically change. And what Jesus came to provide for us, both a justification and a justifying love that can help us reach others. So, Kind of turning the corner a little bit, our vision at Disciples Made is to see 50 disciple-making movements happen within 50 different cities in our country. And that would total 1 million people who have developed the fruit of the Spirit and have identified the top two gifts that the Spirit has given them and are using them to bring about the beauty, the shalom, the restoration of all things. I'm just kind of wondering, let's, let's fast forward ourselves. Our goal is to do that by 2040. 
I'll be 73 years old. Imagine us already at 2040 in August when I've hit my 73rd birthday, which is kind of the end zone of this. What if this George Floyd event or one like it happened then and there were a million people in the United States who had actually developed significantly through a dependence upon Jesus through his spirit? How do you think the world might be different in that day and age? I know I'm kind of throwing that question on you here last second, but this is a real vision that would have a real impact on our country. Well, one of the things that pops into my head, I was in a network meeting yesterday and there was a young guy in it. He's a resident, so he's training to be a church planner. And I just got to be honest, he was naive. And he was talking about how, you know, the most important thing we can do is just people got to get saved. He said, man, it's just about people's souls getting saved. And he's like, if we start chasing all these other agendas with trying to organize the rallies and make all the legal changes, it's for the church, that's a fool's errand. But it was such a incomplete definition of the gospel. And one of the other guys in the group just did this amazing job of kind of starting with the Old Testament and the idea of shalom and moving into the kingdom and what the gospel of the kingdom is. And so I like to just think that the, you know, that full expression of the gospel will be fuller. So you'll have people who know they're called to the political arena because it's their masterpiece mission. And you'll have people in law enforcement, activists, and you'll have educators that, you know, a million more people who know they're smack dab in the middle of the pathway of personal calling with that massive gospel framework of like not just personal transformation and I got a seat in heaven when I die, but they're thinking about that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I can't really say what that would look like because you know what? God will reveal that to them. You know, like the people that are in law enforcement, the Lord will bring the uh, literally spirit empowered illumination on how to bring the right changes. And same thing in the political arena and education and economics and so forth. So I do believe the gospel is the answer. I mean, that young guy's right. It's just a more complete picture of what the gospel means and its implications, you know. And that's why when we talk about content flavored, content alone is not enough to transform people to data dump. But we do make sure all of our IDEs are flavored with the gospel. The gospel is the core content that flavors everything we do because that is the nuclear engine for all change in the kingdom. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> it's what this world needs more than anything. No doubt. So here we are only on episode three. Mm-hmm. And so far we've carried You're getting the <laughs> high energy, you know, pump this thing up. We've got the down thing, you know, on the front end. We yes. do want this to be exciting. And we are that, jazzed. That, that music is a little bit of an earworm. It kind of stays with you. I it's been with me for, for <laughs> I like it. I, I could do. just put it on replay and repeat or whatever you call it. But um so here we are, we're at episode three, and we just went down into, I think it's in Romans, somewhere around eight, where your soul just groans. There's no words for it. It's kind of that moment. Spirit's groaning, man. Yeah. It's groaning. For something new, something different. And I think we exist simply because we recognized that the forms of conveying the gospel, or perhaps even the end zones of the gospel, to refer to this gentleman's quote, you know, they just need to get saved. Salvation, you know, the gospel does get people saved, but if we're only talking about what we're saved from instead of what we're saved to Mm -hmm. or saved for, boy, we've just 
it's like getting the first 1% mm-hmm. and ignoring that there's another 99. Mm-hmm. I love the vision of seeing more and more Christ followers filled with <laughs> Jesus, the fullness of God, with the fullness of God filling Amen. up the world like a water fills up an aquarium. Well, let's do a little bit of review to start to get ready for today's topic of habit fueled. In episode one, we talked about the IDE, the intentional disciple making environment, and we went through all five of the tenets. We talked about being outcome focused. And that's the one we double clicked in on episode one and talked about further with Bree in episode two. Today, we're going to be talking about habit fueled. Robbie just mentioned this. The next one will be about content flavored. Where does content fit in and why do we use the word flavored instead of focused? And then the fourth one is community forged. And then finally, mission fixated that you've talked about today. And here's what we want everybody to know. You can apply any and every one of these tenets of disciple making into any disciple making environment ever. Mm -hmm. Never have to have a product of disciples made to do this. This is our investment into the kingdom to take the things that we have learned from God and sharing them with others. You can take these principles, these pillars or tenets as we call them and apply them to anything. Yeah. It's a operating system. It's an OS. And you can make an infinite number of apps on it. Yes. Uh, But it's a good operating system. It gets to some sort of radical minimums. that are required to actually form disciples who can also form and make disciples. Yeah. And so the outcomes that we're focused on are character and calling. All of the experiences that we do focus on the two outcomes that we believe that the Spirit of God wants to render in every one of us, character, fruit of the Spirit, calling, understanding the two gifts of the Spirit that you've been given, two or three majority ones or major ones, the ones that... Yeah, again, that's the starting point. That's the starting point. Yeah, GPS, though, goes way broader than that but it's it's so great that you don't have to have all of it (laughs) understood and locked down just start where you are what are your two gifts and your main passion and go and when you start moving the spirit illuminates the next step and the next step and eventually you're living into the fullness of your natural gifts your spiritual gifts your layers of passion the different dimensions of your story but you don't have to have all that figured out before you get started no you're still moving yeah Well, today we're talking about habit fueled. So let me just ask you, Rob, what does that mean? Just give us the quick explanation of what we mean by habit fueled. Yeah, Jesus arranged his life around certain habits and patterns that kept him in the life and the love of the Father. And I I tend to think about it this way. The spiritual habits are the way that we raise the sail to catch the wind of the Spirit. Or I think about the radio, you've got the tuner. And there's music playing, but you can't hear it until you get into the right frequency. Like the habits are like the tuner that get you onto the right frequency. And you're like, oh, I can hear that music, man. And now I can start dancing. It's the boat that you put into the current with an oar. And you still have to like row. Right. You know, and one of the things that Dallas Willard says that I think is amazing. You know, you don't earn grace, but that doesn't mean grace doesn't involve effort. Right. You know, and so the spiritual habits are our part to uh, they're responsive so i'm actually responding to what god is doing by building my life around these habits and the habits then basically open up kind of the aperture of your mind your soul your spirit to better receive and be formed into the likeness of jesus and it's really important to remember that the habits are not an end in and of themselves. They're a means to an end. The second they become the end, we're back to the morality police where I'm rating my Christianity on this moral standard of how often or how intensely I do my spiritual habits. I used to be that guy. Sure. You know what I mean? And sometimes I still am. 
you know, or I'm realizing I'm just doing this to check a box. I'm sorry, Jesus. Let me put my head back on your chest again and remember what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that, those are the things that come to mind for me right off the top. It's it's very important, as you just said, to tie the habits to the outcomes. That was the big aha for me. Why do I do the habits? Not to do the habits or not to try to win favor with God and man. It was It was the habits that actually generate the outcomes. One of the memories that, you know, preparing for this podcast brought up to me was a question that a professor asked us in seminary right before we graduated. It's kind of one of these, I've been journeying with you guys for three years now. You're getting ready to graduate and go off and into your own ministries. He said, I just kind of want to have a little powwow. And he asked us this interesting question. He said, what will be the biggest challenge facing the church in 20 years? And at that moment, there was a huge kind of a grace awakening. There was a lot of people talking about grace. There'd been lots of talk about holiness and legalistic righteousness and different things like that in the, in the decades immediately prior. But this was in a huge grace awakening time. And of course that was needed and it was refreshing. But the per- professor asked us that question. And I thought, well, if I've watched the pendulum go from way legalistic holiness driven to high grace, then in 20 years, what's probably going to happen? Things don't tend to bounce back to middle. I thought, well, in 20 years, what is it going to be like? And my, my answer that nobody tended to like was that we would become so grace saturated that we've forgotten what it means to actually become more like Jesus. Because any effort that we give toward it, which includes these habits that we're speaking of, can be kind of pegged as legalistic righteousness efforts. And in my time, since that moment, which was like 25 years ago, every time I bring up habits, people say, well, that's just, you're just trying to please God. I mean, it's almost like it's got a target on it before we even get started. I think, Brian, a lot of that has to do with the stream within the body of Christ that people are in. There are certain streams or denominations that would probably have a heritage that would make them more legalistic. And then there's others that perhaps would make them more... I struggle with the, uh, just to be honest with the phrase, grace-saturated, because the grace isn't the issue. You know, like Paul says, like, everything's permissible, not everything's beneficial, you know, and so it, it's, I guess if it is grace saturated, it's like what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Because I think if you really truly are receiving grace, it creates a response. Like, you know, love prompts love and you can resist it. So I'm not saying it's an automatic response. But, you know, when we were on staff at Westside, we had this series called First Love Breakthrough. It was probably the most powerful kind of two months, I think, when I, in my time on staff there. And, one of the things we talked about during that season um, at Westside, we talked always about loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. That was kind of the essence of the mission. I think it was Dan Shaverin's wife who said it first. It's like loving Jesus starts with the loving Jesus, you know, and the more I'm receiving his love, which is actually extraordinarily difficult for us to do for most people. It's extraordinarily difficult to just open and receive and not earn and strive. When you do that, it prompts love back. I think fundamentally when people are doing disciplines for moralistic reasons, it's because of actually unbelief in true grace and true identity, the true nature of who God is. So it's it's interesting. It's like grace is the answer to the legalism. You know what I mean? And the legalism is funded by a warped image of God and self and the gospel, which can only get fixed by grace. (laughs) I don't know if I'm talking in circles. (laughs) 
I don't think you are. I think you've actually, you know, helped better frame the question. I said, so grace saturated. And your point is, if you truly are grace saturated, then the right stuff will flow back out because you've received the right stuff in. And I think that's a very helpful distinction. Back to any sense of uh, legalistic righteousness is as what I want to do is just kind of take any sense of hesitancy out of our listeners minds of embracing habits. I'll give you the example that I use, and, you, and you've heard me share this over and over again. If I were to go to a gym, whether it's CrossFit or whether it's any other gym out there, and I just simply read the manual of how to do workouts, and I can even memorize those workouts, but if I don't go into the gym and do the reps, I've only been informed about physical health. I haven't been transformed. I've got to do the reps. I've got to get in there and do the crunches and do the chin-ups and all these other things in order for my body to actually change. And I believe that that's very similar to our spiritual formation. If we're just learning about scripture, if we're learning about habits, if we're learning about these different things, we're really never going to change. It's the reps that help us actually engage and change. Yeah. And I think it was Tozer who said this, that often... And it's, and this is such a good equivalent to what you're saying. Like often the disciplines start as a duty and then they become a delight, you know? So it's just like when you're working out, especially in the beginning, I've actually been consistently lifting weights for just over a year and now I'm like addicted to it. I actually like it. But early on, you're trying to figure out how to do these lifts right. And I hurt my back one time and that jacked me up for like six weeks, you know? And I think if we're sitting around waiting till our motivation is perfect or we know exactly how to do these spiritual habits... It's, we're just never going to get there. And it, and it is like exercise. So it does require effort, but you get beyond that duty stage to the delight stage and it begins to become something that you really, truly treasure. You can't imagine your life not being impacted by this massive flow of grace that's now just coming and flowing. And so I, I think exercises, you know, that's one of the reasons Paul uses that analogy too. It's like, this is exactly like working out. Work out, <laughs> work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I love it. I love it. So, so helpful. So let's get personal a little bit here, Rob. Was there a season in your life when you did not engage the habits? And what was the difference in your life during those seasons? Yeah, there's definitely been seasons where I got, you know, like just got out of rhythm, you know, lax, where I was moving to a place of almost like, uh, I can think of a few seasons where it's almost like practical atheism, where I feel like I have so much work to do and so many things to do and I got to get this done and just abandoning the rhythms to try to make more time to do things because I felt like I needed to do these things. I mean, it goes back to what Jesus says. It, it ends up feeling like this heavy, heavy yoke, you know, or rather the yoke is difficult and the burden is heavy and there's just this exhaustion. It's like in... I think it's in Return of the King where one of the hobbits says, your butter spread too thin. And it's a miserable experience. There was a time in college, and this was different though, man. I had such a moralistic understanding of God because of the tradition I was raised in and then also some dynamics at my house. And I heard this guy, uh, Brennan Manning, uh, who came and he did this week of like a spiritual emphasis week. And it was the theme was healing our image of God. And God did heart surgery. It, I, I call that week my second conversion because it, it was revolutionary for me. And I had this awakening that pretty much my spiritual disciplines were always about trying to earn God's approval. And I think this is from the Spirit. We'll find out for sure one day. <laughs> but 
I felt like the Lord told me to stop reading my Bible because I've been doing it wrong. I was so entrenched into that old mindset that it was almost unimaginable because I didn't want God to be mad at me. <laughs> so I actually went 30 days and I think it was God putting me like in detox so that I could come back at the Bible a month later from a different center. And I've not stopped reading since then. You know what I mean? It's like a daily habit of mine. But I remember talking to my spiritual father, the guy who really led me to Jesus, Dan, and uh, he was like, how long are you going to do this? <laughs> it didn't, didn't sit well with him either. He was, he was like, this doesn't sound right. Like, I don't know, Rob. Was you know? that God? Was that not God? Was <laughs> Who was that? Right. But I do think it was Jesus because I, when I came back at it, I was in a different place, you know? Yeah. And I was ready to receive and not earn. You yeah. Know? Interesting. I remember prior to college d- developing this habit and then in college richly uh, having the habit and then uh, went to seminary and then full-time ministry. And I and somehow the Bible reading got replaced with sermon preparation mm. or, Been there. you know, study preparation. I'm doing my Bible reading. I'm paying attention to it. And to be honest, you know, if you look at some of the Greek language that we had to back in the day, Caruso means let the word, you know, penetrate you and uh, let it change you and work in you and then let your proclamation of the word be a byproduct of the work it does in you. So it wasn't void of any type of reflection and any type of self-evaluation and, you know, self-correction in the process. But over time, it was no longer a devotional exercise. It was a clinical preparative Mm -hmm. exercise and things got very, 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 very dry. And I do remember 10 years ago, moving out to Kansas city, starting a new job in a new way and uh, just saying, man, I have missed this. Mm. Not only did it become a chore, it became a chore I quit doing a number of years ago. I don't remember when I quit doing it, but I haven't been doing it and I will do it from now on. And life, it's like you talked earlier about it being the dial on the radio to open back up the communication with God, the flow, the the movement, the checks and balances, the prompts, just the insights from heaven. And uh, wow, that just changed dramatically for me, the impact in my life. And it's been kind of fun to, to play with that on and off. So we recommend several habits. Bible reading, journaling, accountability, prayer, bless rhythms, serving, several of these things we'll unpack in, in just a minute. But I even uh, kind of doodle with them a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm going to do the Bible reading and I'm going to do the reflection questions of, you know, what did Jesus teach you and what are you going to do about it, but not write them down. And I'm going to do that for six months just to see if there's a difference. Yeah. And there was such an extraordinary difference of when I didn't write them down, but I just put them in my head. Because able one, other people couldn't see them if I didn't write them down, mm-hmm. which is a part of the accountability, and uh, they just weren't as clear when I didn't go through that exercise. So it might seem trivial, but for me, I really recognized a big difference. Yeah, it, and I think having the spirit of experimentation with the spiritual habits is really important. Like it's more play than it is work. And, and so, for example, with Bible engagement, I do find that I phase. Like I always come back to the base of like reading and journaling when I'm, you know, here's what I believe and here's what I will do. But I phase into a lot of other things like Bible meditation. Like I'm not going to try to do a lot of scripture. I'm just going to do a few and just chew on it. Or I've really enjoyed listening to big chunks of the Bible in an uninterrupted way. We had a really, really long road trip and I did almost the whole New Testament. And it was amazing. I remember talking to Brian Johnson at the end of the trip. I'm like, I know you're going on a long trip. You have to do this. <laughs> it was so amazing to listen. And I listened to it all in chronological order. That was the thing. Oh, that's that was, fun. That was amazing. I'd never done 
in the New Testament in chronological order. So I think it's cool to have that base, but to phase into kind of other creative ways of engaging. It keeps it fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah, without a doubt. That's really critical. Let's talk quickly about some best practices or insights that we've discovered as we have discipled people in a habit-fueled kind of way. I'm going to toss the first one out there. It takes way longer than 21 days to cement the habits in. Yeah, that's actually a myth. Totally. It's a, Yeah, if you look into the research that's actually been done on habits, that one's just hogwash. Yeah. I don't know what came up with it. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, just I, I've been leading followers made groups and leaders made groups for, you know, seven, eight, nine years now. And uh, so followers made is six months long. If you've participated in that, there is Bible engagement that you're actually held accountable to. There's stat, stats in our app that help you keep track and all these other things. Try to develop the habit in order to accomplish these outcomes. And people that actually do very well, like their stats are high in the 90 percentile or whatever, even when the accountability is gone, they'll drop back to not doing any. So that's six months of effectively having a habit where that goes out. What are your thoughts on that? How does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, I think, again, we're going to hit this in Community Forged. A disciple making is a team sport. Right. You can't play the game alone. You can't. And if you try, you fail because it's like trying to play singles tennis when you're playing football. Like you're out there with a tennis racket by yourself. Hmm. And it's like, <laughs> you're going to get taken down by the other team. They're just going to take you down because you're standing alone with the tennis racket right. and you got like eight guys coming at you, you know? So if you don't have that team, you're not going to make it. Yeah. I just think that's a hard fact of spiritual reality. Yeah, the habits kind of work together. And one of those habits we mentioned was accountability. Who are your accountability partners, et cetera, going to be? I like the fact that we have limited duration stuff because we're trying to help people become disciples. Like when I first started this whole thing, I the question that was in front of me was, when is a disciple made? And the answer that came was, when does a disciple not need me anymore? When do they have all the training that they need to adequately pursue it? Now, nobody's completely yeah. made like they're done. perfect right. they're not until they're jesus and and we're all a long way 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 long way from that but when do they have all the tools necessary to adequately do it and it's when these uh, habits are ingrained and so we spend a lot of time trying to help people say okay well when this is over when this six months is over who's your accountability team going to be what bible reading plan will you be on uh what is your plan to continue all that and we still watch it all kind of fall out yeah, that's where, again, we're going to dig into this later, but those that simple framework Jesus modeled of, who are my three? Yeah. Who are my 12? You got to have them. Got to have them. You know, and that's where you go through a six-month journey experiencing the three and the 12, and now you know the benefit of it. Yeah. And you're right. If you aren't intentional and you remove that, you're going to have a black and you know white before and after experience, yeah. you know? And that's why all five of these components are really important. So critical. They were talking about. And they've got to own them. I've had a lot of people say, Brian, I just need to get back into one of your followers made groups, your leader made groups, because I really need the structure. I was like, you don't need me for the structure. Right. You really don't need me for the structure. Mm -hmm. Think about that. You have what you need. Here's another uh, lesson that we've learned insight. People really do need to survive two or three quote unquote, life happens moments in order to keep the habit going. So let's say you get really enthusiastic about starting this brand new habit. You've got this new group. You're going to meet new people. You got this new hope for what God's going to do in your life. So you get going and then you have a family member that gets really sick or you have this experience at work 
or COVID happens and just uproots everything you're doing. Now you're working 80 hours a week instead of just 55 or 60. The life has changed. A lot of people at that point, the habit gets knocked off. And because they've not, so to speak, worked out or lifted the weights for a while, that euphoria is gone, all those other things. And then their guilt sets in and then they don't re-engage. And so what I found is that people need to hit one or two of those life happens moments. Don't allow guilt. Don't allow a sense of failure. Just get back in and go. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I think our long term, longer duration experiences are so helpful because they put people in that environment where they don't allow one or two, like even vacation doesn't have to be long, week long vacation where you go on, where you might take a break from the habits. How do you come back from that and continue to go? We've already mentioned this, but I want to throw it back out there. People must see these habits as a means to the outcomes, not the outcomes itself, not a box to check. Your intention really makes a categorical difference. You know, even now when I begin to pray in the morning, I always start and I just, I have this little phrase I've created that I say in my head. And it's like, I'm here to be present to your presence. I'm here to surrender to your spirit. And it's for the benefit of my community. I just and I just sit and think through that sentence for a minute and it helps me come back to what's my intention, you know? And I think there's been some pretty amazing research done on habits. And there's been a number of books that have come out in the last few years, like The Power of the Habit. And one of the things they talk about is people who form habits successfully have a positive intention that they can articulate, you know. And so for us, that's what the outcome focus is about, you know, having that clarified and personally owned and revisited. Like daily, like, why am I doing this? It's super important. Yeah. It ends up becoming its own reason for doing it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier with the weightlifting, I just can't imagine my life without this. And uh, the way you were just describing that moment as you kick things off, so to speak, with with God in the morning, that felt like living water to me. Mm -hmm. Like getting that drink of living water that keeps your soul fresh, that keeps your soul going. It's like, I can't imagine life without this. And it's the same with me in the morning. I really don't know how to have a day without that now. And it's just truly changed everything. A couple more things here, Rob. There's a phrase out there called what gets inspected gets done, not just what's expected. It's what gets inspected gets done. Of course, this is more on the front end of trying to develop the habit than it is on the back end when it's already accomplishing the outcomes and bringing the life that these habits are intended to bring. But what gets inspected gets done. Accountability is key. And it's um, also kind of the hardest habit to develop is this accountability because life happens, things start to fall off, and you need people in your life that are willing to have conversations with you to help you stay on track to those commitments that you've made. Yeah, and the tone of the accountability is so important. You know, if it is, and we're really trying to create this culture and have it reproduced, that the tone has to be one of appreciation. Like, I'm really glad to be with you. You know, like, I'm, I'm not here to try to turn you into some spiritual habit superhero. Right. Right. I just, I just really glad to be with you, appreciate you. And the validation of it's a non judgmental space. Totally. Like, if you had a bad week and you fell down, We just want to pick you back up, dust you off, let's keep going. And if you do appreciation and validation consistently, then when it is time for a hard word, people know it's coming from a place of genuine concern. Yeah. You know, and not some weird competition or, you know. Yeah. Um, And man, when you get that, when you have a, you know, with a three and a 12, genuine appreciation, validation with a forthrightness to speak the truth when it needs to be heard. It's what everybody's looking for in community. You're a disciple that's really close to being made. Yeah. If you have those things. 
I truly believe that that is the case. What what you're kind of saying is instead of having a defensive posture with accountability, mm-hmm. like make sure you're not doing this and make right. sure you're not doing that. And yeah. you come and do your little confession of what you haven't done or you're either clean or you got to confess your mess. Accountability really is having at least two other people in your life that are encouraging you, empowering you and challenging you as you seek to live out the goals and the fully alive life that Jesus has empowered for you to have. Amen. Yeah. And we've created kind of a multi-phase accountability conversation for folks. When you have to play defense, I mean, if you play offense really well, you don't need the best defense. We found that out with the Kansas City Chiefs. Forever reigning as Super Bowl champions. (laughs) Because we may never see another Super Bowl again, but uh, let's hope that we get to watch them do it again. But uh, if you play offense... Uh, really, really well, you don't really need to roll into defense, but you need to have them both. And that's what we really learned the previous year. Our defense really didn't show up. And even Mahomes and team could not beat the Patriots. That was a painful memory for both of us. You need them both, but you really need the offense. A defense alone cannot win a Super Bowl. So we're saying, you know, let's get on each other's team and let's fight for one another and let's Mm -hmm. help us each other accomplish the Jesus thing in our life. Last thing here, as far as just the insights that we've received is that all habits go through a season of dryness and fruitfulness, and we can't perceive dryness or lack of feeling something super awesome as these aren't working. Mm. Yes, that is so true. One of my favorite passages of scripture on that is in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, we behold in a mirror darkly. And I think he's saying, really the best we get right now is kind of dim beholdings. So there's times in your engagement with spiritual habits where it just, you're not even seeing the reflection in the mirror. It's just dim beholdings. It's like, I don't even know what's going on. If this is doing anything. And what I've come to learn over time is when I trust and show up his presence, it's like a divine radiation. That's always killing the cancer in me, Hmm. you know? And even when I can't feel it, right. Even when I can't perceive it. And especially there's been a couple dark nights of the soul where when I got on the other side of it, I realized, you know, that habit of getting up in the morning and going for a walk to pray, it felt like I was talking to nobody, you know, for months. And then on the backside, it was like, that was the thing that saved me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm so glad I was walking with Jesus. I couldn't feel what he was doing. I didn't know what he was doing, but he was doing it. Yeah, I think God actually recorded a person's season of life like that in Psalm 88. If you haven't read Psalm 88, there is no, but joy the next morning. You know, it's just, I raise my hands to you day after day. Are you even there? And uh, I can recall at least two of those seasons in my life that lasted about two and a half years each. Mm. And uh, I would always recall during those times, the Hebrew people, the Israelites had to go through the desert for 40 years, an entire generation, but it was preparation for them going in and taking the land. There are seasons where it seems like there is absolutely no progress at all. There's a great thing to remember. God is not silent. We are not perhaps always listening or listening for the right thing because sometimes he does speak through that silence and he's waiting for us. I think that's such a big one. We've actually created a little bit of language in Disciples Made to help people adjust and right-size some expectations when it comes to particularly the habit of Bible reading and journaling. We've mentioned others. Sometimes when you're reading and you're asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You know, not just, you know, what are you teaching me today, but what do you want me to do? 
everybody's looking for God to prescribe an activity or a specific action. And early on, a lot of people find that there are a lot of those. And those are great. But those don't always come. But what I found is if you're open and you're listening, he might also just be trying to prepare you for something that's about to come up that day. Like if you were to learn, a gentle answer turns away wrath and your response is, well, I'll just remember this and let it shape my day today. You have a meeting that comes up where somebody comes in and speaks a harsh word at you and you've got that verse right there in your mind. You're like, all right, didn't know that this was coming today, but God did. And he allowed me to be shaped by that. I have a really fresh example of that and it really struck me today. So the underground, we have a corporate rhythm where we fast and pray on Tuesdays. And we always declare a theme for the corporate fast so we can all bring our beams together, you know, into one massive laser beam of prayer. Why am I thinking of Ghostbusters right Exactly. Now? <laughs> That's it. That's it, brother. And uh, so the week before George Floyd was murdered, Michelle wrote the prayer guide and she felt led to go to is Isaiah 58, where it talks about our fast is the kind that brings freedom to the captive and provision to the poor. The fast that day in the guide, she put in three or four different pause points. So it's like, take five minutes and think about what that would look like in our city or in your life. You know, these different dimensions of what Isaiah says true fasting is about. As things unfolded, she's sure. like, wow, I know that was him preparing us, Yeah, you know? to receive what was about to unfold. Yeah, that's so good. And another one that, another word we use is it might prevent you from doing something really dumb. The word of God is alive and it's living. It is. And ready to shape you. The last question we want to deal with just quickly is, is how can you, how can anyone add this component of habit fueled to your small group, to your Sunday school, to your little accountability triad that you meet with once a week, whatever the disciple making environment is, how can you add it? And we recommend version, the Bible app. Grab that. You can actually do reading plans together and you can journal. You can actually see whether or not your friend has uh, done a part of the Bible reading app. So there's some accountability that are woven in there. You can make time in your huddle to share and discuss the I believe and the I will statements that you've written down. Disciples Made, our app and our experiences have this all built in with statistics and everything, but you don't need that. You can do this with any type of free apps that are there. And you can do what we just talked about. Shift your accountability conversations from, hey, you didn't do this to a more positive posture, a more offense posture of saying, hey, I saw that you were really growing. Well done. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about how God's really starting to move in your life. We're about to wrap up, Rob. What have we not said that we need to say? Well, the only th- only other thing that um, came to mind today, and this is something that I learned from Spirit of the Disciplines, which I know you're rereading, and that's by Dallas Willard. And one of the things that he speaks about in that book, which was really revolutionary to me at the time when I read it, is that spiritual disciplines and habits are also meant to be uniquely configured to an individual and that they're responsive. Hmm. So, for example, he'd say, you know, if you struggle with pride, then you need the spiritual habit of secrecy. So you, you need to start doing secret giving, secret serving. And it was like, I remember reading that going, oh, that makes like, so much sense. That makes so much sense. <laughs> How can I not know this? You know, and he gave all these beautiful examples. I was like, wow, hmm. okay. Now I see what God's doing through these things at a different level. So you need to be constantly, there's like a base of habits that I feel like are the equivalent of eating healthy sure. and doing 10,000 steps a day, you know? But the, you should constantly be like 
reconfiguring and experimenting and going, okay, what am I struggling with? You know, I knew um, a friend I was talking to who also talked a lot about uh, just struggling with being judgmental. She opened up to the idea of, I'm going to pray on my knees. So I'm bowing every day, you know? Hmm. And I just think, that's beautiful. And that's another thing you talked about is like engaging your body yeah. into the spiritual disciplines. Like your body's as much a part of this as your spirit is, you know, because your soul is energizing your spirit and your body and your mind. You are a soul with a body and a spirit and a mind. So I just want to say at the end, like, again, have fun with this experiment. Like, what are you struggling with? And then look for a discipline that would address it to help you practice what it would be like to be living a fully alive life. That's so good. So you've referenced Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. What are like two or three other must reads when it comes to grabbing just the heart or as Dallas says, the spirit of these habits or disciplines? Celebration. Celebration of Richard Foster. Yeah. Celebration of disciplines or is it celebration of the disciplines? Not sure which one. That one was amazing. Those are always my two go-tos. Gotcha. They really are. And then there's a ton of others that are in that second class of really good books, but those two start there start there (laughs) start there and have fun with it it's been awesome having this time with you rob it's kind of hit a different tone than i expected it would take but i think it's been very valuable and very meaningful i trust that it's been meaningful for you who are listening to this today we have missed brian and his shenanigans however it's not the same without him yeah it's like the three amigos without dusty bottoms it's just not the same talk to me more about (laughs) i'm just gonna leave that there (laughs) and and those who enjoy good comedy the three amigos they know what i'm talking about steve martin dustin what's it what's what's that guy's name (laughs) you're murdering the names man come on no i'm not helping you out (laughs) steve are you wanting to know the steve martin yeah steve martin yeah chevy chase chevy chase of course and the martin short martin short shorty martin whatever his name is (laughs) Well, I guess that'll do for our shenanigans today. The IDE, the Intentional Disciple Making Environment, has five tenets. So far, we've really deep dived into outcome-focused and habit-fueled. In two weeks, we'll be talking with someone who's going to unpack for us how powerful the focus on habits or allowing the habits to be what fuels these outcomes that we focus on, how it's been meaningful in their lives. I hope you'll tune into that. And then we'll continue to roll through the IDE. And as you can see, we're going to get sidetracked on current events with real stories, tough conversations, and of course, shenanigans. See you next time, friends. Adios. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, You can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.